I got really good at walking into a room, scanning people and being like, if he starts on me, I'm gonna attack his teeth, I'm gonna attack his hair. <laughs> I heard his dad's in jail, we'll go for that. I know some things about that guy's sister, that'll get brought up. You know, yeah, like yeah, the Terminator yeah, yeah. walking in, <laughs> just scanning, scanning threat, threat, because I knew it would be made fun of. <laughs> guys, what's the crack? Welcome back to Pub Chats and a Pint, a podcast series sponsored by Harp, where we sit down with someone interesting from Belfast in a local pub. Today, we are in the fabulous Harp Bar right here in the Cathedral Quarter, and we're joined by a rising star in the comedy world, William Thompson, who is racking up countless of ours and appearances on podcasts, channels like Dave, Channel 4, BBC Scotland, and uh, going to loads and loads of gigs around the world as well. So William, mate, thank you so much for being here and cheers. Really thank you. appreciate your time. Oh, look at this. Are we magic German all straight off the bat? <laughs> Way to kill the intro, William, well done. Oh, we roll with it, mate. So I was getting the bus in on the way up, just going through yeah. the stuff that you sent through. And I was just was thinking, like, when was the first time you were paid to be funny? First, first time? Oh, God. Um, probably, probably about my eighth gig in. Hmm. And, and you get about 20 quid petrol money. Really? That's how it starts? That's, yeah. That's like bottom of the ladder comedy world? Yeah. And, and then when you start, you're just doing it just to do it. Yeah. And then you finally get 20 quid. And you're like, I'm a proper comedian. <laughs> and you're not. But that, that's, that's what, uh, yeah, about 20 quid to drive to like Lurgan or something. Really? And back. It, was, it was pretty much petrol money, but I was yeah, like, yeah. I've earned this. It's crazy. So eight gigs prior to that. Like, how on earth do you ever even end up on stage? Because I think, like, for myself, like, nowhere near the comedy scene, a lot of guys listening or watching, it's like, man, I wouldn't have the balls to get up on stage. Like, what, what even brings somebody to that place? Um, a desperate need for attention is definitely one of them. <laughs> you, you need them. Shout out to your parents. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, but also, I was always in school. I was always, a, like, I wasn't terrible at school. I was just terrible at subjects I did not care about. Right. So subjects like science, geography, art didn't interest me. But ones where I could like write and creatively write, I was very much interested in. So like English, history, um, media, all did all those subjects. I really enjoyed them. So in school, I would always write the uh, like little stories and stuff. And then as I got older, wrote like plays for every time the school had like a school concert. Wow. They would get me to write the play for it, like a little skit. And that really got me interested in just writing comedy. And then through then, I got interested into doing stand-up. So, and I listened to, back then, no one listened to them, but I listened to local podcasts, like Boy Time, Shane Todd and Dave Elliott. There was Audio Picnic with Colin Geddes and Mickey Bartlett, all those guys. And then they would always talk about comedy. Mm -hmm. So it made me think, like, oh, this is something you can do here. Yeah. So then got in touch with a message Shane Todd, mm -hmm. And um, was like, is there anywhere that can do open mics? And he was like, uh, tell Colin Geddes. And the two of these guys were like heroes of mine. It yeah. was insane that they, they'd even reply to me. And they went, tell Colin Geddes, you can, um, I, I back you up. You can do five minutes in Lavery's. So my first gig was five minutes in Lavery's on the bill with Colin Geddes and Chris Kent. Mate, unbelievable. Yeah. And you, you've got like such a strong relationship with those guys if you listen to them on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, like, you feel like you know them. You're like, yo, and then yeah. like, to have that opportunity is pretty cool. Yeah, it took me a little... When we started podcasts, or I started being on them, I was very nervous. <laughs> very, like, I was laughing. I was overly loud. Yeah. I'm a loud person anyway, but I was way too loud on them because I was really nervous because yeah. I've been listening to these since I was, like, 13, 14, and now I'm on them. So interesting. So it was weird. 
When a weird we, dynamic. When were you born? What year were you born? 96, man. Right, so I'm 95. So I was just thinking, it's like, you know, I was like, we were first year when I Am Fighter came out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, it's interesting that you're, like, second generation comedian. What I mean by that is, like, just this mad wave that's happened with the internet and podcasts and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. I never really in my head realized that, like, you are the second part rather than, yeah. like, you know, the, the goats. <laughs> yeah, people... Because people will be, like, will be like, oh, you're part of that generation. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm a part of the next one. Very interesting. Because if, when you look at that group, they're all 10-plus years older than me. Oh, yeah. And I grew up watching them. Yeah. But it's only because when the scene took a big rise, everyone sort of came up together. And they're ahead of me, but I, I'm, like, a little tag-along guy. So everyone thinks I'm part of that. And I'm like, no, I'm next down. That was a weird, like you said, I'm fighter first year, and I remember everyone watching that. Oh, yeah. Everyone was quoting it. And then when Colin did the newest one, I was in it. Maybe. So I was like, that's a, that's a cool moment. It's a really cool moment. Yeah, because wow. I was a massive, massive fan of that. Born in East Belfast? Born and raised, I. Tell me more. Originally, um, so it, it, it moves back and forth a bit because uh, growing up, like, like most people from East Belfast, their parents weren't together, so you're chopping and changing which, sure. who you're living with. So I lived in Craigie. Um, I lived for a time on the Newton Arge Road mm-hmm. on D Street. Got expelled from that nursery. Big D Street. Got expelled from D Street Nursery. <laughs> How do you get expelled from nursery? You hit people with chairs, apparently. It's, I had anger issues as a child. I'll do it all. Yeah, <laughs> I had really bad anger issues, and people wouldn't be my friend. And when you weren't my friend, I started beating the shit out of you. Being like, <laughs> why, why, why aren't you coming to my house? Like, what's your problem? So yeah, I got, I got expelled from two nurseries. And then finally was, then went to live in Tully Carnet. Lived there until I was about 11, 12, and then lived in, lived in Dundonald now. And Dundonald and Tully Carnet, people are like, it's not East Belfast. It absolutely is. <laughs> it's, it's on the outskirts, but very much in spirit, it is East Belfast. Yeah. That was really interesting. You said that you were into like, creative writing. Yes. It's like so much of comedy. Now, again, this is just based on like listening to like Jerry Sanfield interviews on podcasts and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But like he even says, like the number one thing he does is sit down every single morning with a blank bit of paper and forces himself to write. Yes. So the fact that you came into comedy almost through the Trojan horse of writing is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, because it's a skill that you need and it's not one I'm great at either. I'm not really someone who can't sit down for ages. I can't sit down for two hours or three hours and make myself do it. I'll have little 10-minute spurts. Perfect. Where I'll write something down, then I walk around the room mm-hmm. repeating it to myself, then I'll write it more down, and then I walk around the room, and I get really excited by ideas. But because I get excited by ideas, I need to do them straight away. And if there's any time delay on doing the idea, it's like, oh, we can make a move on that in two weeks. By the two weeks come, I'm, I don't care about it anymore. <laughs> so it needs to be done yeah. in that time, and it needs to be moving. Otherwise, I get very bored. The comedians talk about writing on stage. Yeah. Like, performing in front of an audience, seeing how it, they react, and then tweaking wee bits. Yeah. Is there a way that you're able to speed that process up? Like, if you have one of these mad ideas that you love and you really want to take action on it, can you, like, fire out a tweet or, like, fire out a reel or something and get instant feedback? You, you can do that, but it, there is no way to practice for being on stage. Mm. Because if there was a way for doing that, you'd some comedians would be amazing. Mm. Like, like... The, the difference between doing comedy and, like, say, playing the guitar, mm-hmm. you get to practice in your room playing the guitar, and then you're showing off to the crowd what wow. you can do. You, there's no measure for it. 
there's so many comedians, like say internet comedians, and I make the difference because people who'll do vines, do TikToks, do YouTube videos, but they've never done stand-up. And because they'll kill it online, where a lot of the the humor comes from the editing. Mm-hmm. And then they, they'll be like, well, I'm very funny. I can do it on stage. And then they do it on stage and they bomb. Oh. 99% of the time. I think even Bull Burnham would, would talk about that when yeah. he started. He was a, a big, big YouTube success and then started stand-up and he struggled. Now, he did great in the end because he's Bull Burnham, but he struggled for a while because he couldn't translate yeah. on the online to on stage. It's so different. That's really, really interesting. I never thought, because obviously, I mean, it seems so obvious when you say it, like, obviously, like, big part of comedy is timing. Yeah. If you're in the editing suite or on your phone, you can control the timing. 100%. You don't have to do it in real time. Or if you fuck something up, mm-hmm. you fluff a line or you say the wrong thing, or you just watch it back and you go, that punchline isn't quite working. Yeah. You can change that. On stage, the only feedback you get is, Oh, everyone's just looking at me right now. <laughs> like I'm insane. <laughs> or they're angry that I'm wasting their time. Yeah. Which you are doing. If you're not being funny, you're wasting their time. So they're very angry about that. Yeah, on stage, that's the only feedback you get is how well it goes down in the room. Mad. And that's the brutal part. How many gigs did it take you? This is a silly question in some ways. Before you started feeling somewhat confident as a comedian? Oh, fuck, one. Yeah? One. I've always been way more confident in my ability than my ability is actually I, was, I, I saw something, I think it was even last night, and it was like three traits of like highly successful people, and the first one was they've got an inflated sense yeah. of their own abilities. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. that's perfect. Oh, thanks, mate. Uh, <laughs> cheers for having me on. That only applies for me on stage, on podcasts and stuff. Yeah. I think I'm terrible. Why? I'm very awkward on. Why do you feel way more confident? On stage, then... Because it's, it's not real. On stage isn't real? On stage, it's not real. And you, and you feel like this is more real? This is more real because this is a conversation. Interesting. Do you know what I mean? So this is me being me, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. On stage, I can make up whatever. Yeah. Whatever I said happened, as far as you're concerned, <laughs> happened. That's true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If I told you my my I, I was raised by two lesbians and two <laughs> gay dudes, and we all lived in a house together... As far as you're concerned, that happened. That's the truth, yeah. Don't know why that's the scenario my mind went to, but as far as you're concerned, that happened. Whereas with this, you're more yourself, and I'm not comfortable with that. I don't like it. So, like, creative writers will talk about uh, trying to get the reader to suspend disbelief, and that's like whenever you watch a movie or you read a book, everyone's taking part in the thing. We know this isn't real. Yeah. Whereas podcasts, they have that weird dynamic where it's like actually... Where is the line between the real and the not real? Because we're obviously here in a pub. You know, there's no patrons in here. There's no customers. Yeah. There's these lights. I'll just say, I've been drinking a pint. Don't tell them. Apparently. <laughs> this, is, this is 12 at night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're here, here at the midnight hours. Uh, so there is an element of like, this is staged. But I, I'm with you. Like, even in our studio, it feels like real. Like, yeah. it, it almost feels realer than real because there's so much intentionality behind it. Like yeah. two people are coming in and we're having like a more intense conversation than you would with half the people that you know because there's no screens, you're concentrated, there's a wee yeah. bit of urgency to push you forward. I have some pretty intense conversations <laughs> in pubs, like to be fair, especially coming out of the toilets being like, I love you. But, <laughs> but yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Do you think whenever you're on stage, it's because everybody's like agreeing that they're taking part in something that's not real and that's why it works? No, a bit, a bit. It's like, like going to see a play. Mm-hmm. Yes, I will buy into your premise, 
if you sell it to me, mm-hmm. if you make it somewhat believable, if I come out and just start saying stuff that isn't true, yeah. and it's very easily detectable that's not true, if I came out being like, yeah, in school I was so sexy because <laughs> I was really tall and really good looking, <laughs> yeah, you're not going to believe that because clearly I'm not. <laughs> but if you can tell them a little story and then add a twist in, yeah. but the rest of it's true, well, they've bought into it, so they're in for the twist. Yeah. What is some of the main themes that you draw on? Ironically, was that like I was talking about making stuff up. I'm not great at fabricating things entirely. Yeah. Some people can just create scenarios and run the story. We call those people liars. Yes, yes. <laughs> but you can be a fantastic, you can be a fantastically entertaining liar. Yeah. And there's money in that. But I can't, I can't do it. I have to take something that happened, twist it a bit, mm-hmm. or or focus on one element of it. So I just draw a lot from my life. I talk about growing up in a council state. Mm-hmm. I talk about being disabled. I talk about relationships and sex a lot. Mm-hmm. Probably too much, but it really amuses me. I always like dirty comedy. Yeah. I know it's not for everyone. Yeah. I know when you were watching maybe Live at the Apollo with your mum and dad when it was on, and you'd have Michael McIntyre, and then someone will come out and do like a, a rim job joke, That's and you're like, terrible. Yeah, your dad's looking, off. Your dad's <laughs> looking around the TV, and your mum's just going, shouldn't need to be dirty to be funny. <laughs> but I was always a fan of people like Jim Jeffries and Louis C.K. and Frankie Boyle, really dirty comics. So I, lo- I love dirty comedy. So I would do... Those would be the main three things, is family, disability, and, and sex. Talk me Better about. religion, too. Oh, yeah? But I only do that here. Yeah, it's quite niche, isn't it? Yes, because it's not just religion here. Do you remember when people talk like the Catholic oh, Protestant thing? It's like culture. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've ordered a Diet Coke and someone called me a hun once. I was like... <laughs> a Fanta, I would have understood. A Diet Coke, I don't follow. So it, it's ingrained in everything. Yeah. But I don't do it when I go to England or Scotland. Because nothing annoys me more than when you see a comic who's like from England mm. and they come over to Belfast and I, oh, you know what it's like on the tube? I'm like, no, I don't. Yeah, nobody here knows we, what we that's we barely like. have bosses. Yeah. How do you draw a line between the, the hyper-local stuff that would really kill, say, with, like, an audience, a Northern Irish audience, versus, like, trying to be more universally acceptable or, not acceptable, appealing, I suppose? You sort of learn. Okay. You sort of learn when you do it. Now, you should have some common sense that if I'm going to do a joke about a pub in East Belfast, yeah, it's not going to fly in, in Hackney. You should know. There's certain words that you, you have to learn by doing them on stage. Mm-hmm. And maybe those words are the punchline to a joke, a very good joke. Yeah. But it, it, it's, it's balanced on that word working. Yeah. And they don't know what that word is. Brutal. It's like the word peeler, I didn't realize, is very colloquial here. I don't even know what peeler means. Really? I, peeler? Think, I know it means police, but I don't know why. It's because the police were founded by John Peel. Oh, there you go. Who was either Scottish or English, which made me think, oh, this will work here. But apparently it's a very local wow. thing. They don't call them peelers. Mate, I, I love this job. You learn every single time you yeah. sit down. That like... could be true. That could be a lie. I don't fucking know. <laughs> you could be so, I, I, I could have made that up. <laughs> yeah. I trusted you. Yeah, no, I, well, you I, said this was real. That is actually why they call peelers. No, not John Peel, Robert Peel. Okay, Robert good Peel. fact check. There good live fact check. I like it's that. one of the two. <laughs> I know enough to roughly talk about yeah, yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not great at like, exact details. We were chatting before you came in. Why do you go for William instead of Will or Willie or whatever? Oh, if I had my choice, it would be Will. Right. Absolutely. You don't get you don't get to decide here. Who who decides? Um, your parents. That's how most names are made. But also, <laughs> you don't get to decide what people call you. Everyone calls me Willie. Right. And I hate it. 
I hate it because my dad had my name, so he was Big Willie. Yeah. I'm Wee Willie. Yeah. Try and get a girlfriend with that nickname so when you're five foot tough. four. It's very tough. Um, so yeah, I would go by Will or Wills. That's my friends call me Wills. Yeah. But I've tried to get that going, and Shane Todd laughs at me and goes, "No, we'll call you Billy. That's the best you're getting." Really? Yeah. You don't get to decide what your nickname is. Brutal. People just give you a name. It was more on podcasts. Everyone started calling me Willie. Right. Um, if it, the first episode of my blood party keeps referring to me as Willie, and they stop calling me Willie, and then Shane started calling me Willie T. Yeah. And then Willie T is a very quick, snappy name. Yeah. So that I go by Willie T. Willie T, yeah. Yeah. yeah the, but I'm not gonna be like, actually it's Wills, you know, the Willie T rattles <laughs> off the tongue, everyone knows me as Willie T. So I have to I was like, oh fuck it, I'll go by Willie T now. Yeah. That's not the end of the world. It's just it's more I it's how you you can tell if someone knows me or they don't actually know me if they call me Willie and they're like, Yeah, they don't really know me. So you said this is in reverse order, because I can't remember the first one. You said themes you draw on, religion, peelers, disability. What was the first one? <laughs> Family? Um, family life, yeah. Family life? Yeah. Uh, what's your disability? Cerebral palsy. Um, when, specifically spastic hemiplegia. When did that come into your life? Is that something from birth? You're born You're later? born with it, right. but you don't know you have... You can you can tell with certain types if you're quadriplegic or... you can It can depend. You can, norm, you can sometimes tell if the child can't crawl, it has cerebral palsy. Okay. For me, it was I was around three or four. My parents would take me out and I would just fall. Like constantly fall, which I still do. But it got to the point that I'm like, what the fuck's wrong with this kid? He right. won't stay upright. I just keep hitting the floor, hitting the floor. And then they, they took me to the doctor, found out I had a cerebral palsy on the right side. I also had a speech impediment, but they so thought it was just a child. So just from like almost like an imbalance? Or it's like your left yes. side is stronger than your right side? Yes, that's exactly so the whole, it. the whole, right, whole right side of your body, there's yep. something going on. Yeah, it's all, the muscles are very tight. I don't have great control over it. Right. Um, I have better, this is like I have better not to brag than a lot of people with cerebral palsy yeah. because at the early ages, um, and my mum was a, like, she was like a home nurse and also she's a very strict woman. So she found out you can really help mitigate it if you, if you treat it early. So she used to make me walk up and down the stairs for about half an hour every day, maybe go to physiotherapy, sit and do my stretches, wow. maybe go to speech therapy um, to learn, which is why I sound like this. Because I'm from a council estate in East Belfast. Realistically, I should I sh- I should sound a lot rougher. Yeah. So people assume I make that up because I sound like this. So I I talk like this because speech therapy made me speak made me enunciate speak clearly so that they could understand what I'm saying. That came in handy. Yeah. Probably. The thing is, yeah, I didn't know I had cerebral palsy until I turned 13. My parents never told me. Wow. And then. I got an offer to play for the Northern Ireland Cerebral Palsy football team. I was like, oh, but I don't have cerebral palsy. And my mum was like, fucking, well, <laughs> happy birthday. Good news, I'm bad news. <laughs> Good news is you can play for them because you absolutely have it. I yeah. was like, and I was like, why did you never tell me? They were like, we never wanted, and they knew I would do this. They were right. We never wanted you to feel something and then blame your disability. Wow. Um, because as soon as I found out I had it, I, I did exactly that. It's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My mom is a very, very driven That's a power woman. move. Very driven woman. Behalf, like, yeah. It's like um, a depressing Harry Potter getting that letter. <laughs> Instead of you're a wizard, it's you get a hundred pound a week. <laughs> Maybe at that age, you're like, man, this is this is everything. Yeah. What's it like growing up, going through secondary school and all? East Belfast with cerebral palsy. You got any stick for it? 
all the time. It was easier once I found out I actually had it because I was always terrible at sport and always had this little hand, right? When I'm See, not paying attention. See, that's the brutal part of your parents not telling you. Yeah, the hand would come <laughs> up like that. So <laughs> it was easier once I knew I had it because I was always behind in sports. I was never as good at sports as people. Um, I had a really bad memory and I still do have a terrible memory. It's why none of my routines are that long because I can't remember them. Nice. Um, it's because cerebral palsy is a head injury, so it, it's going to affect your brain. Once I knew I had it, I, I became really, not defensive, but better at standing up for myself mm. because I'm like, okay, people are going to attack me because of these reasons. Yeah. I then have to like know what to attack them on. So I got really good at walking into a room, scanning people and being like, if he starts on me, I'm going to attack his teeth, I'm going to attack his hair. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard his dad's in jail will go for that. Do you know what I mean? And then you'll look around and be like, I know some things about that guy's sister. That'll get brought up <laughs> if he starts attacking my disability. Yeah, you know, like yeah, the Terminator yeah, yeah. walking in. <laughs> Just scan, scan his threat, threat. <laughs> He's a nerd. He'll say nothing, not a threat. <laughs> That's how I approached life. So I was always very defensive yeah. because I knew it would be made fun of. And after a while, it stops really annoying you. I'll still get other people come and be like, oh, did you forget your helmet? I'm like, it's not even what I have. Or they'll be like, oh, you're, you know, you're, can you even read? I'm like, I have a degree. I'm, I'm, my arm just doesn't work that well. My legs don't work. <laughs> I'm fucking that stupid. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions about it. But yeah, when you hear a good one, I don't get offended. I'm like, I'm taking that. Yeah, you're like, respect. That's on stage now, because that's a banging yeah. joke. Interesting, like that, like preparing lines in advance to defend yourself. That's like good heckler training. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably my best trait in stand-up which weirdly doesn't come across on podcasts. Because no one's heckling you. Because I'm also quite... I can get Al to yeah. start just lobbing stuff at you if you want to shine real real bright. Like Also because they're <laughs> they're my friends. Right. So I'm not going to go as mean as yeah, I yeah, go. Yeah. You're not going to go up with the sister, the dad in jail. Yeah, I'm not going to be really thing. harsh on people. But yeah. when I'm working with Pat, it's always Patty's shows are the modest for it. Shane's podcast or Shane's fans are very lovely, very civilized people. Yeah. Um, Patty's are fucking mental. So when I work, I gig with him, it's always people start slapping to me and Paddy always just go, he knows what I'm like. He's like, you go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll spend 10 minutes just chewing people out. Brilliant. I love to do it. Brilliant. Love to do it. That crowd work stuff, it, there's a real audience for that online. Like, I'm a big fan of Andrew Schultz. And like, yes. his whole YouTube is just built around crowd work. And loads of comedians like that as well. It's almost the thing now. Yeah. And, and the reason probably for that is you can burn through a lot of that because yeah. it won't happen again. Um, but you can't keep putting up material because mm -hmm. it takes about a year to develop a really, really good joke and then you have to tour that joke. Really so you point. put that online, it's burnt. Yeah. The problem with it is now, when, when you're known for doing crowd work, you can end up having just a really rowdy crowd Yeah. who want you to tell them to fuck up who want you to slabber at them. Same with podcasts. When you grow, when you get a bit of a podcast crowd, mm -hmm. they want you, they feel like they know you, so they start shouting stuff or be like, remember you said this? You're like, no. We record three hours every week for two years. <laughs> I don't remember what I said in June 20, fucking 20. Yeah. You nutcase. Yeah. But yeah, the crowd work thing, I enjoy it, but if I... Part of me gets annoyed when I, I do the clips down, I put them up, and I'm like, that was way funnier in the room. Sure. And I don't feel people give, not just me, but any comic, enough credit for crowd work. Mm -hmm. When they be like, oh, that was a bit of an easy joke. You're like, he said it in two seconds? Yeah. 
that happened and that came out of his brain with no filter. Absolutely. Of course it's going to be an easy joke or like the first thing you see. Yeah. Because you're just saying what's in yeah. your mind. And the speed is really important in that. The way. fact you have anything to say at all yeah. is incredible. Because Belfast did not really have a scene, or Northern Ireland in general did yeah. not have a scene for so long, you were sh- I could rock up right now with a mic and a speaker and start doing stand-up. I've done ge- two, two or three. I have done gigs in that circumstance. So it, it, it took a while for people to learn how to behave. Right. And I've done gigs. I remember, it's the, I think it's the Crumlin Star, I'm going to say, and they're going to kill me if I get it wrong, because they always kill me. I always get the name of this bar wrong. But it was for the, uh, the Ardoin Fela, or Fla, whatever, I can't remember what it's called. And it was me and Paddy McDonnell. And they were like, there's about 200 people in. And we go in, and there's easily about 400, 450. The place is rammed. No one's even sitting. Jeez, it's just people crowded around the stage, shouting the entire time. <laughs> like, you don't even get a word in before they're shouting. They're screaming at you. With a guy, Darren, on uh, doing MC before us. And he's a very, very funny guy. Very polite guy. And he was trying to, like, calm the crowd and speak very softly and make the crowd listen to him. And he went out and the f- he opened his mouth and someone went, fuck up. <laughs> and he went, ah, come on, guys. A little bit of manners. And he went, fuck up, please. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> the gig you're dealing with with Brutal. there. And then I went on and I went to speak and someone heckled me. And I just spent 15 minutes abusing the crowd. Brilliant. So that, that one was, was rough because I didn't do material. You literally have to do material, then fuck up, fuck up. You're ugly, you're fat, you're fat and ugly. <laughs> Anytime you do a gig in somewhere that's not a comedy club, mm-hmm. has the potential it's to a be liability. a disaster. Interesting. Ulster Hall, your biggest gig coming up? My biggest solo show, yeah. Class. Yeah, nearly. Fourth of November? Fourth of November. Yeah. And I was panicking for it. Right. Um, because it's, it's nearly a thousand seats. It's a big undertaking. Like, you, you step out and you're just kind of like, all right, let's see. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I have the benefit of I've done that room five times already, not by me just doing warm up, but it's more the the thing that panics me is like it's nearly a thousand seats to sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are, are that many people going to come and see me? And then the first day, like after the first weekend, it was nearly half gone. Perfect. So I was like, Jesus Christ, class. Yeah. Now I have I have to worry about the show to put on. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, the yeah, fuck yeah. Do I say to these people? Yeah. But yeah, it's. No, the scene's such a crazy point right now, though, that you, I'm doing the Ulster Hall and it doesn't matter. Mm. It's not, there's two people doing the Odyssey. Three, four, five now can do the Odyssey, so the Ulster Hall's like, oh, it's only a thousand. That's insane. That's do you know insane. what I mean? I can do the Ulster Hall and I am seventh or eighth on the list of comics here yeah do you know what i mean that's how crazy but things are it's so exciting for the scene and it's so exciting for you as well yeah yeah no it's exciting i'm very excited to do yeah. it and if everything goes tits up the next year or the year after this i'll, I'll still have like well i sold the Australia. 100 so i am very excited for it if not very scared for a show like that do you uh, like how much old material can you weave into it or is it totally no. new material totally or how do you approach that totally no you can't do it wow it's just the it's just the rules you can't charge someone um, £20 one year and then they come back see you the next year and say it's £20 and you're doing the same joke. Yeah. It's not fair. So that's it. If you're, if you're charging somebody, you're just like, they have to pay for something novel and new. That's yes. That's how you think about yes. it. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, 
Louis C.K. said on a podcast once, if you don't know him, don't Google him, but Louis C.K. said on a podcast once, um, even if they love you and then they see you do the act again, they'll, they'll still like it, but they're not coming back. Because mm. they, they go, okay, that's all he has, that's what he does, and it's still good, it's still fun to see, but I know the act. That's and, a really and, good point. And, and comedy is the reverse of music. Music, you go to see someone. Yeah, that's a good point. I want the hits. Yeah. I go to see Eminem, do not play me the new album. <laughs> you play me the hits off Curtain Call. That's what I've paid 80 quid to see. Yeah. Comedy's the reverse. I go and I play the hits. You're, the element of surprise is gone. You know where the joke's going. Mm-hmm. So that element's gone. So no one's going to laugh. They'll laugh, but it's more like, ah, he's doing it more than a... Laughter really takes you by... Something that really makes you laugh is something that comes out of nowhere or something you've built, 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 and then it hits. Once you know what they're going to do and how it's timed, Mm. you just can't laugh the same. It's a really good point. I don't know who the hell I was listening to, but they made the point that like that's all a laugh is. A laugh is a surprise or the release of tension. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating when you break it down. It's a noise you make when you just go, oh, fuck, (laughs) and you didn't (laughs) expect what was going to happen yeah. that, that's exactly what it is and that's why you can tell like a real laugh and, and like a fake laugh I do material about this is because like a fake laugh you know when your boss cracks a joke you're like oh very good sir and we try to be very pretty like oh ha, 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 ha. Yeah. and then you really make someone laugh and they're like oh, fuck yeah, it's ugly it's the ugly ugliest laugh. face and they're like spitting shit out and there's like snatters coming out of their nose blinding them and they're and that, that's what you want. You don't want to, oh, very good. You want people being like, oh, Jesus. And they look ugly. Perfect. That's when you know you're doing well if you're on a date with someone mm. and you can make them ugly make laugh. Make them ugly. Make them ugly. Oh, I love that. that that's how you know you're... That's a bar. That's a That's line. how you know you're killing them. Make them ugly laugh. And you're like, oh, you're flying. Yeah, that, that's, like, that's my favourite feeling. Making someone ugly. Making someone ugly laugh mm. when they're probably like, oh, Jesus. Just, and they're just losing control of themselves. Yeah. That's the that's the best. Why do you like that? Because you know it's it's real and it's not even like, oh, that was kind of witty. That is, a, I'm going to drop everything I'm doing right now to laugh mm. at that. It's just a good feeling. It's, I, it's the highest compliment for a comedian. Yeah, I can't. That's the only, I, I don't, I don't want to be told I'm good looking. I don't want to be told I'm talented. Mm-hmm. If I can just make someone do that, that's, I love doing that. I, I can't describe the feeling of you're on a stage in front of 100 people mm-hmm. and 90 of them are ugly laughing. <laughs> it's a fantastic feeling. Drugs. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> drugs, if you could bottle that, yeah. I'd be a junkie. Yeah. Well, you basically are. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You keep going back for more. Yeah. Oh, you're still talking about stand-up? <laughs> um, no, but yeah, basically, yeah, that's why you keep doing it. Yeah. God knows it's not for the money. Um, you, it, it, it's okay to make a living off, but people think we're all millionaires. We're not. Um, you don't do it for the fame. I, the weird idea for, the, 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 even the small bit of recognition we get, I wouldn't call it fame, but people kind of know who we are in and around where we're from. Absolutely. I don't even like it. No, it's not. Like, no one would, I think if people understood, no one would want to be famous. No. No one would want to be recognized. There are benefits. Like, like you go into a bougie. Do you get a wee cheeky you, you want a, you want a double meat or something? A free-sided <laughs> nacho chips or you go big man. Right? Class. Yeah, you get a free Fanta lemon here and there. Okay, it's not all bad. But it is it is a nightmare when you're in a big place, a big bar in town and everyone kind of recognises you and you just get crowded. Yeah. I don't like that. 
No. I, I don't, I'm not socially anxious, but I like to keep mm-hmm. myself to myself. 100%. A lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. I'm really interested in what you said about comedy and music. How music is something that people will listen to and over and over again, but comedy has that element of surprise. Is there any, whether it's a podcast episode or a comedy special or a bit from a, a comedian that you like that you will have listened to? I'm going to say more than three times. Oh, there's albums, comedy albums that I listen to religiously. Um, Hilarious and Shameless by Louis C.K., fantastic mm. albums. Um, Kevin Bridges' second DVD, which is my personal favorite, is great. Frankie Boyle, The Last Days of Sodom, um, a, a great album. Uh, so there's there's just albums that I I know off by heart just because I really really like them. Brilliant. Um, Peter K. Like, I can this the whole podcast is me listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 specials I listen to John Mulaney's first one that I can't remember what That's it's great. called, but after a while. You stop listening for the surprise element, and I'm listening to it from a work perspective. The mechanics. Of I'm going, well, well how did he make that work? Because it sounds like, from when you're just listening, you're like, this guy's just talking. Yeah. He's just talking, and it's funny, and it's kind of, And then you go back and listen, you're like, there is so much he's doing right now that you don't even, like, there's so much moving parts, mm-hmm. you don't even pick up that he's doing that. So if you were to give, like, one of those wee moving parts, one of those mechanics to Al here to make his wife ugly laugh, yeah. like something that, like an inside bit that can just make any joke better. Yeah. There's one thing I love doing, and it's such a silly fucking thing. I love to do it though. I mean, it makes people think you can't actually do the thing. Right. Which to me is funnier than being able to do it. It's when you're telling a story and say you meet an Englishman in the story, do the complete wrong nationality. <laughs> Just the complete, <laughs> complete wrong. Because it's a Lucy K trick. It's where I picked it up where he's like, Oh, I ran into this guy in the street and he was like, oh, hello, nice to meet you. And he goes, <laughs> and he was Jamaican. <laughs> so he's being racist with the initial accent. Then he switches it. And to, so when I do, anytime I do an English guy, I'll be on stage being like, well, I came from fucking London. <laughs> and then you make fun of the fact you're, you're not actually doing the right voice. I, that's my favorite thing to do. It's good. Anytime anyone does it, anyone, it's certainly not my trick. Yeah, yeah, everyone yeah. does that to just, do an accent wrong and then play it off like you didn't mean to do it is hilarious. Oh, that's gold right there. Just do that. Dinner tonight, yeah. sorted. Yeah. Love and it. if they say it's a bad impression, you double down and you, you just keep doing it <laughs> until it's funny. That happens. Talk to me about Spy Kids. Oh, the movie? Is that, that's because you asked me for my favorite quote. Yeah, that was a niche. I liked that a lot. I liked it because it's... It was almost a punchline. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because it was so deep. Did you think I'd made that up? No. No? Or did but you I, know but it was I was like, like I laughed. Like, I, I laughed out loud on the bus because I was like... I didn't, whenever you see who it was from, <laughs> yeah, it, it was yeah, like yeah. an unexpected punchline. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's why I love that quote. Because it's a good quote. And then you What's realize, the quote? Do you remember it? Do you think God remains in heaven because he too fears his creation? And it's in a kid's it's random from Spy Kids. <laughs> a movie where there's actual thumbs as the villains. Yeah, where even in the movie, it doesn't make sense. Steve Buscemi's in a lab and they found him and he's the creator of these, are they called flubers? Yeah, yeah Or something yeah. like these like yeah. little humanoid things. And he's afraid of them. So he stays in his lab and the kids are like, wow, professor, what happened? And he's just like, 
Do you think God stays in heaven because he too fears his creation? And the kid's like, wow, I don't know. Like the movie does not get that philosophical again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just that one yeah. really weird part. Yeah. I, I I don't know which movie it is. They all blend in my head. But there's like one where they have like, they've got money. And they put the money in the microwave and it turns into food. And I was just, as a young kid, yeah. just captured by that idea. I was like, <laughs> what, I have to put in my microwave and what would happen if I pressed you yeah. know, 30 seconds? <laughs> Brutal. I haven't thought about Spy Kids in a long time. Uh, Spy Kids were one of my, my favorite franchises. Spy mm-hmm. Kids 3D, banger oh, of a movie. Epic. epic. Do you remember that when they first invented 3D and everything was in 3D? Mate, it's, it's actually all coming back. There's like an opening scene where there's like a roller coaster that juggles. Yeah. Stuff. And all the stuff was like flying out at yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And they, they, would, they would remake movies for 3D and it wouldn't work. Yeah. You get like Shrek in 3D and the dragon would come out at you. But <laughs> About like, why half was a this centimeter. Eight, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why was this 18 extra quid? This was not worth it. Yeah. No, I love Spiker. There's so much to be said for those like terrible mm-hmm. kids' movies of the early 2000s. We, you grew up around the same time as me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those yeah. terrible movies of that they were era. Great. They're absolutely I love great. their Spy Kids. I was going to say Shrek. Shrek's good. Shrek is unreasonably good. Shrek's, even going back to it now, you're like, this is tight, this great movie. Yeah. Do you think, what else was terrible but popular at the time? Weirdly High School Musical. Were you a High School Musical kid? Absolutely. Thank you. I could could sing about 10 songs. Thank you for admitting it. Thank you. So many people were like, I don't know it. Mate, my iTunes, if you remember back in the day, everyone was pirating stuff on iTunes. Yeah. it, iTunes would do this thing where it would tell you how many times you've listened to a song. Yes. I'm pretty sure I maxed out some high school musical on my iTunes. Under the 99. Under the 99. Yeah. <laughs> you're out at a bar you st- or you're at a party, you're putting on high school musical. Bro. People are like, who's, th- who's put that on? <laughs> oh, God, no, who's that? <laughs> and oh, God, you're going to have me singing. <laughs> You'll get that. Go my own way. That was a tune back in the That's day. That's a banger. Uh, I've got to move on and be who I am. Oh, I just 100%. don't belong here. I hope you what understand. about us? What about everything we Woo! do for you? Do you think God stays in heaven? <laughs> this is the content we signed up here, for. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I, don't, I love that era where like, the movies you watch, was your parents are like, do you want to watch Back to Future, Karate Kid? You're like, that Disney Channel originals. Yeah. Like the, the, the scripts are gen- the, the scripts now seem like they're AI generated. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, did a human actually write yeah. this? Yeah. <laughs> Steve Buscemi looked into the camera, <laughs> tears in his eyes as he questioned his existential yeah. existence. That is good music. When you watch like the act and the story, it's all terrible. <laughs> but is, the songs I, are so catchy. I don't even know this is going to be the final cut, but I'm having fun. Like, I just, I'll send it to you afterwards. I saw a video the other day, and it was like, dear knows what high school musical video it was, and it was a scene where they're in the kitchen, and, like, Zac Efron's, like, playing the saucepans. And they've put the actual sound in. It's just, it's like, what this actually would have sounded like, and it's the worst thing in the world. Uh, yeah, I've heard that. Oh, <laughs> it's so good, mate. All right. <laughs> Two questions. You yeah. land the plane, and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Um... If you could take anyone from Northern Ireland out for a pint, uh, who would you take, dead or alive, I should say? Who yes. would you take? Where would you take them and why? Uh, George Best, absolutely. Nice. And to the pub, because I don't think he'd let you go anywhere else. Yeah. Um, just because, like, you know, he, he became a bit of a, a joke that, oh, he loves a pint and all. But when you're talking about someone who excelled at their level and is legendary yeah. at what they did, 
and, and it's still considered the best of all time. You have people from Northern Ireland who are good or who got better than a lot of people than here should have got at their, at their craft or whatever they do. Very few, he's the only one, like the best of all time tends to come from England or comes from America. George Best is the only example I can think of where people are like, no, he's, he's the, the best of all time. Yeah. And he was in the 70s when being a footballer meant you were a fucking rock star where you could have a pint before training. Yeah. So I, and the, I love George Best. I love George Best. It's awesome. So that would be, that would Great. be who I would go for. If you could go back in time, go back to an 18-year-old version of yourself. Didn't know where that was going, but all right, yeah. <laughs> and you had a couple of minutes of 18-year-old Will's time. What sort of things would you say to him? 18-year-old me sadly isn't that much different than, than actual me. I'd say don't spend your time in uni focusing on comedy and not... <laughs> And not partying. But even then, because I spent a lot of time partying, I went a bit off the rails. I look back and I'm like, well, if I'd invested that time, I'd be further along than I am. But then I'm also, I only developed that drive after I went mental at uni. So I'm like, mm, I, I don't know if I would change anything. Talk to me about that a wee bit. So, like, was Less there like crisps, a... I would tell me. <laughs> Less crisps. Like, where did that drive come from? So the driver really came from, so I lost my mum at 18, and uh, like, um, I hadn't spoken to my dad since I was 16. Not squandered my prospects, but didn't take things seriously. I did get my degree, but I didn't, I didn't really take advantage of uni. And then just found myself sort of going nowhere. I started a comedy doing well, and just left partying and stuff, become the main prior. Like, if I was going on at a night, a joke landing wasn't what was my focus it was yeah. well where am I going after yeah. am I going to party after this that became a focus you start to slide down the ranks until you then find yourself oh I'm doing the gigs that I originally surpassed and now mm. I'm back doing these gigs what the fuck am I doing yeah. um, so then all that happened made me get the driver like right I need new material I need to start killing I need to do better a lot of the time and then once I came in with that actually took me about a year um, before I would say I'm fucking murdering every gig I'm doing. And then I hadn't gigged with him in a few years at this point. Shane Todd had seen me do uh, the Limelight Comedy Club. So he took me on tour with him. Nice. And then I got good at being the warm-up mm -hmm. guy for Shane. Uh, to the point that became a regular thing I did. Then I started getting the fan base of people being like, oh, but he's good, I went to see him. And just you build, you build, you build, you build. To the point now, like, if I could see back when I was about 22 and being like, oh, I need to focus on comedy, I'd be like, in four years' time, if you take that, I would keep doing that path. Because yeah. that was the time I was like, oh, I'm doing seven people, and my friends are like, why are you doing this? And now all those friends who are like, why are you doing this? are like, oh, fucking fair play to you for doing it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Awesome. But people don't see that side of it when they see stand-up. They see you, if you do well in a room of 200, they're like, oh, like, I could do that. And you're like, it takes a... Long, 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 yeah. long time yeah, before like you get really good. Three hundred gigs with an audience of fifteen people to get to that point. E easy. Yeah. Easy. Mad. Awesome, mate. That was killer. Really, really killer. Yeah. Uh, thanks for making me ugly laugh over High School Musical. Did not expect <laughs> that's where we were going. You're all good. <laughs> Mid two thousands television. That's where I shine. Absolutely. <laughs> and thank you so much for listening or watching. Thank you so much to Harp once again for making this possible. I actually have like pretty much polished that off. And thanks to Willie Jack for letting us use the hard bar here for this time and William.
Thank yeah. you again. Thank you very much. Thank you for having awesome me. Awesome chat, and I really appreciate your time. Cheers.